0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. We're going to talk about tips for higher yields in wheat. What are some of the lessons that we learned this year? What are some of the things that we're excited about in wheat? What are some of the just have-to-dos in wheat if you want to get high yield? And it's going to be a little interesting discussion, or it certainly could be, especially if you contribute, because you probably know a few things that you say, you know what, this really works in my area and I don't hear it talked about a lot or this is something I've been doing for a few years, yeah, we'd love to hear it. Our phone lines will be open at 844-44-AG-PHD or if you have an agronomic question about wheat or about anything, I guess, just give us a call. We'd love to talk to you about that. You can always email us as well, radio at agphd.com. And I'll start with this. When we talk about higher yields in any crop, You can talk about managing the crop and just look above ground, or you can look below ground as well. And for me, I like to start with the below ground parts because that makes such a difference. If you set the table up for success and you can just manage some things that you see above ground later, it's kind of how I like to look at it because let's just take fertility, for example. And we talk about this a lot on our show for a couple of reasons. One, If you have great fertility in your soil, you can do a lot of things wrong and you get quite a bit of forgiveness there and you're still going to be okay. But if you've got really poor soil, it's extremely difficult to get high yields. You have to do everything right. You have to get things out there at the exact right time and so forth. It's a challenge. It really is. And so if we can do things to set the soil up with great fertility And a balance of fertility out there, pretty much any crop can be successful. And so if you're listening to the show on a day like today, when we focus on one crop and today it's wheat, and you say, well, I don't raise wheat. Well, there's still a lot that you can pick up because when it comes to soil fertility, many of the same things are going to be true no matter what crop we're talking about. So uh, we, we talk a lot about potassium, for example, and we look at parts per million. We need a certain number of parts per million to be able to feed the crop that we've got. But we're also looking at the base base saturation percentage so we can see kind of what balance is out there. And as your plants are pulling in nutrients, how much of each bite they take uh, is going to be potassium. That's really important. We talk about a base saturation number in medium to heavy soils of 4% to 8%. If you're in lighter soils, you may have to start out higher than that. But that's that's something uh, we can deal with specifically on uh, specific questions, specific soil tests, those kinds of things. But uh, to keep things broad, uh, 4 to 8% base saturation potassium is something that's big. You now, If we're talking about cotton, if we're talking about corn, if we're talking about field peas, uh, just about any crop, we're going to say the same thing. Base saturation K, we'd like that 4 to 8%. We'd like to be able to deliver a certain number of parts per million. Often we talk about at least 170 parts per million, but Depending on your crop and your yield goal, it might be a lot higher than that. Um, So we also will reference the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App, which if you're new to the show and you haven't heard us talk about that, it's a free download. So just search for Ag PhD apps on Google Play or um, whatever service you're using. Find the egg PhD apps. One of them, the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app. Uh, I, I don't even know, hundreds of thousands of downloads. It's, it's been a very widely used app around the world, and it's completely free. And the information on there is from the International Plant Nutrition Institute, who doesn't have an agenda, doesn't sell fertility, just strictly looks at crops to see, okay, what do you actually need for nutrients? How many nutrients or how many pounds of each nutrient does this crop remove at each yield level. So you can type in whatever yields you're shooting for. It'll tell you how much fertilizer you need. And I think that's fantastic. So we'll look through those kinds of things in wheat and try to make sure we've got the right number of nutrients in place. Now with wheat, it gets a little bit tricky depending on the crop rotation that you're in. For example, we were just talking to uh, Clayne Jones at Montana State, uh, well, just a couple weeks back. It, it could be a month, I guess. Time time flies pretty fast when you're talking farming. But when we were talking to him, he was saying, "Well, in our state, with our rotations, a lot of a lot of our farms end up being a lot of cereals, and so we've got a lot of high carbon residue out there. We need to put a little extra nitrogen on." to break down that high carbon material. We'll say the same thing in corn. One of the challenges with continuous corn is you need a little bit more nitrogen out there to be able to overcome that. Otherwise what happens with all that carbon on the top of the ground, all those stalks and residue for the bacteria and microbes in your soil to break that down, they need a lot of nitrogen in order to, to process that. So if you don't have enough N, well, it's going to rob it from the soil or from whatever you applied and that can be a real challenge. So you have to keep those things in mind with wheat. If you've got black soil, no residue out there, it's going to take less nitrogen than if you've got heavy residue uh, from previous crops. So let's just say you had 100 bushel spring wheat, for example. If you look at the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal Tool, it would tell you you need 219 pounds of N. Now the grain is going to remove 149 pounds But the stover needs another 70, so you want to make sure you've got enough. Well, I'll talk to farmers that that will say and this, uh, I'll just use Montana again as an example. Uh, I know guys there that will tell me, well, I have to put three pounds of N out there per bushel goal. So they'd put 300 pounds of nitrogen out. So that's an extra 80 pounds more than that crop would need if they're shooting for 100 bushel weed. Do you need that much extra? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, the other thing that you could do is perhaps inject some of that nitrogen and try to bypass that. Your residue is not going to break down as fast, but at least whatever you're putting on, you're going to have a better likelihood of that getting into your crop. Um, then on on the nitrogen front, we'll also talk about protein. And if you're in an area where you're getting paid a protein premium, perhaps the biggest single factor for improving that protein in terms of fertility, is having availability of nitrogen late in the season. So does that mean putting an in-crop nitrogen application on? Well, if you get rain, that would be ideal. If you're not going to get rain, that makes it a lot more challenging because any nitrogen you apply on the surface is going to have a tough time getting into the soil and into your crop. So we'll talk about uh, fertility and other tips for raising higher yields in wheat on today's program. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Take your tillage to the next level with the Insight Universal Tillage Tool from McFarlane Ag. With more adjustability and flexibility, the Insight is the ultimate one-pass tillage tool. Visit McFarlaneAg.com to find your closest dealer.
1: At Commodity Classic, you'll connect with farmers from around the world as we explore new frontiers in agriculture. Join us in Houston, February 28th through March 2nd, 2024. Houston, we have no problem. Discover more at CommodityClassic.com.
2: The greatest herbicide of all time earned its title by defending your soybean fields. Authority Supreme Herbicide's low-use rate formula delivers longer-lasting control of broadleaf weeds and grasses, providing you with the best-in-class combination of Group 14 PPO herbicide, Sulfentrazone, and Class 15 molecule Pyroxysulfo that outlasts the competition. We're Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC, and we play to win.
3: Learn more at authoritysupreme.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: Get the most from every acre on your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and soybeans, a soils clinic, and a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information, and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Register today at agphd.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We're talking higher yields in wheat, but of course, we'll tackle any agronomic question. We may not know the answer, but we'll we'll uh, let you know if we do. Got Charles up in Ontario, Canada right now, who might stump me here with this one. How are you doing, Charles? Hi, thanks a lot for
4: uh, taking the call. You bet. So we've got this, um, it's, it's very close to uh, our farm, it's, it's right around the corner, and uh, they, they mine this mineral called uh, wollastonite, which is like a calcium silicate, it was sort of a, an impure uh, limestone that got compressed and heated, and it's a metamorphic rock, but it, it has been used as a, a sort of a, a lime substitute and fertilizer quite a bit over the years in our area. Um, and they're giving it away free now because, at least uh, theoretically, um, it uh, it's meant to sequester carbon from the atmosphere in the soil. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, I guess they're trying to prove that. But I was wondering. I mean, our soil is 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 pretty much a neutral pH. Um, and I'm wondering if there's anything that I need to be careful about using a, a mineral like this on that ground.
0: You know that's a great question. We we haven't played with that substance at all. I, I know with some of the uh, silicates out there, um, they can be a little bit dangerous, especially if they're in a fine powder, uh, and can can really create a reaction in your throat, that kind of thing. But this one, if you're spreading it out on fields, perhaps it isn't. Perhaps it isn't quite that um, much of a problem. Uh, I guess what what are you using for rates? What, what kind of stuff you said it might be used as a liming alternative.
4: Yeah. Um, so like I said, we have, uh, we, we grow produce is what we actually have vegetables. Um, and so, uh, I've been, like I said, our soil is quite neutral in pH, but lime in our area is quite cheap, uh, readily available. And I'll tell you a few years ago, uh grower's fertilizer, it's made up in Manitoba. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but, um, I was talking to one of their dealers uh, about this, uh, their product and he said, you know what, before you do anything, I want you to go and just put a, a, a silly amount of lime on your land, like 10 tons to the acre of lime. Just see what it does. Just see what it does. And so we were on some rented land this year, um, and we, we put down like a very, very heavy application of lime on a ground that we tested, and was, it was basically like 6.7 or something, didn't need lime uh, by conventional wisdom. And, but some of these crops that we grew there uh, were, were just the most healthy crops I've ever seen. Uh, and given what was there beforehand, I have to chalk at least some of that up to the line. So I'm just this, this like, abundant, available calcium thing as, as a source of plant health. I'm wondering if that can be applied with this calcium silicate or if – I'm not really worried about, like, my own health. I'll be in a cab tractor or whatever. But, like, could putting too much of that stuff on the land – I think they recommend about two tons of the acre – um, could that make my soil go wonky? Like, can you have too much calcium? And calcium well, you can't. You can. You Does can a-
0: have. You can have too much calcium, but uh, if you've got medium to heavier soils, that's it's it's a pretty big number as to how much that could be. We look at what our base saturation percentages are of calcium in our soil. So on a soil test, just request they do a base saturation test. Also, as long as we're Less than 80 uh, percent, we haven't overdone it, and I typically like to be more like 65, 70 percent calcium in the soil. So, yeah, as long as you're staying under that, I, I guess I'm just doing a little search here as, as we're talking, and it's also used as an anti-caking agent in food preparation, including table salt, and as an antacid. So, I guess from that standpoint, um, if it's used in food, I'm not super worried about it then. Um, and, yeah, they do talk about the, the ag uses as limestone and so forth. I, I see articles out of uh, land-grant universities down here in the United States as well uh, talking about using that. Silicon is, is one of those nutrients that uh, in a lot of the areas that are raising really high yields, we see a lot of silicon in those soils. We don't know what uh, what all the impacts of that are, but... Um, yeah, I I guess as, as with anything else, I'd say you try something out, um, on a smaller scale on your farm first to make sure you're going to be fine and, and follow whatever guidance there is in terms of use rates and so forth. So you don't overdo things, but yeah, as long as you're not, you know, if you need the lime and this will work to reduce acidity, then, and so be it. It's, I'm assuming the trucking is pretty minimal too, since it's right there nearby. Yep. Yeah. Okay, I'll let you know what happens next year then. Yeah, I appreciate it, Charles. Thanks for the call. Hey, always learning something new Thanks on the show lot. today, and, and today it's coming from Charles up in Ontario. That's pretty cool. i uh, got a friend Temple Rhodes on. He works with the Extreme Ag Group and and farms over in Maryland. Do you guys ever get into that, Temple? I see uh, New Jersey talks about that, and, and there's other places not too far away from you that talk about calcium silicates.
5: Yeah, I mean, I, I tried a bunch of calcium silicates, um, years ago and and there were certain stages now I mean not with wheat but in, in um soybeans you know we had a lot of problems years back where when we produced this plant that we were you know we were manipulating and they were growing this big bushy plant where the bottom stems would get so heavy and it would snap them off right so one of the things that um, the calcium silicate does is it adds a lot of structural strength to the plant So we were adding some of that um, as we were going, and we actually produced beans that actually weren't dropping that bottom, you know, that bottom branch. And once it drops or cracks, you know, whatever seed that's in it generally molds, or it lays so flat on the ground at the point where you can't pick it up. So you really couldn't, it's not like it happened at a good point. But the calcium silicate, actually, we, it ended up being part of our grower standard years back.
0: Interesting. Yeah, you just never know what you're going to hear on the show. And, and uh, wouldn't you know it, our next guest has got a little experience with that. Yeah, your name came up earlier, yeah. Temple. I was talking to somebody in the biostimulant industry that said, oh, man, I we used to do a lot of work over with, with Temple on some stuff. But how about in wheat? Is that something mm-hmm. where you're looking at PGRs, you're looking at biostimulants, those kinds of things? Yeah. Or is it as simple as um, kill the weeds and stop disease? No, well, it's it's kind of like, you know, we always talk about you and I've talked about this multiple times, you know, that synergetic
5: thing. So I mean, I, I guess if I'm gonna say that there's and you know, high yielding wheat, if there's one thing that has made a lot of money and a big, big ROI, it's been that fall application. So that fall application that we make, we wait until the you know, the wheat comes up Now, of course, we plant a little bit earlier than what you guys do out there because I'm trying to get a lot of fall tillers out there. So the one thing that we do is we put on MegaGrow, and then we put on a fungicide with it, which you don't hear about fungicides when the plant's first coming out of the ground. And then we put our herbicide on there, and then we put uh, uh, phosphorus solubilizer in that as well. So what we're trying to do is have a synergetic effect. You know, one, when we put Megagrow in there and you add that PGR, we're trying to stimulate root growth. We're trying, by stimulating root growth, we're also stimulating the fact that we're trying to get as many fall tillers as we can And then when we put in a fungicide, which fungicides at that time of year, I've heard people say, you're crazy, that makes no sense. Well, it does because if you come out of an environment where you produce 250 bushel corn and you have all of that stover laying there, well, that stover is generally filled up with disease. You get rain on it, it's warm in the fall, you know, you're going to build some funguses out there. Well, if I can it's looking for a new host, right? So as soon as the rain splashes on, it splashes up onto your brand new crop that you've already planted, worth going through the wintertime, quote unquote, thinking, well, I'm clean, right? And you would think that you're clean. Well, you're really not. You just have a new host. You are giving it a host and you're going through that that crop. And then when you add all those things together, um, especially with the PGRs, you have stimulated that crop and it's been a big, big number of ROI for us like that we just get a humongous bounce. It just sets the crop off to the right place.
0: Well, you know, you talk about that, doing that work in the fall, you're going to have better winter survival. You're going to start off a lot more aggressively in the spring when you get that massive root system. Uh, There's just a lot of positives there, keeping that plant healthy and happy the whole way through the season. Hey, Temple, that was great. I really appreciate that. It's a great way to kick off the show. Thanks for being on today. Really appreciate it. Okay, thanks a lot. See you guys. Talking about tips for higher yields in wheat on today's program, and we'd love to hear from you as well. It's 844-44-AG-PHD, and we'll be right back.
2: Good morning and hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over!
6: What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped.
2: Woo
1: hoo hoo hoo! Weed field heaven!
2: Here.
6: Amped? Yeah, he ordered that new Battalion amp herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard.
1: This is
2: the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I
6: get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com.
2: It's gonna be a good year!
6: Always read and follow label directions.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio talking about higher yields in wheat on today's program and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. A uh, couple of things here. Well, first of all, I think if we're going to be successful with any crop, we've got to take care of weeds. And if you want to have high yields, you've got to be awesome. Uh, so do the best you can on some of these things. So There's pre-emerge herbicides that can be used in wheat, and that's something that a majority of the market isn't doing yet. But that sector of the market that is using pre-emerge herbicides is really growing. Uh, We're seeing for broadleaf control, Sharpen uh, is fantastic. That's probably the number one option. But also something like Zidua or Anthem Flex, where you've got a group 15, is a really nice start to it's going to control some of the small-seeded broadleaves, but also do a nice job for you on grass. So, uh, something to think about. If you're not using a pre-emerge herbicide, it, it really helps, and it makes it so much easier to control weeds a little later in the season. Let's head out to Colorado. We've got Mark with us right now. He farms out there. How you doing, Mark? Good. How are you today? Well, we're doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. We're already talking about what can we do to get higher yields in wheat and uh, it's a little bit away from harvest in, in this part of the world so y- you can tell it's uh, it must be getting cold outside because we're thinking about man what can we do uh six months nine months from now
3: well we need it to rain a lot that, that would help but um, uh you know some of the things that we're doing on our farm have really uh, kind of turned the corner for us and yield and and the, the first and foremost is uh, using a seed-applied technology going down with the, the seed in the fall. Uh, we use a, a, a fungicide, and insecticide, and, and uh, when we put that on with the air seeder, it, it just seems to flow a lot better than a lot of other products we've used before in the past.
0: You know, it makes a big difference getting off to a good start. And we were talking with Temple Roads uh, way over in Maryland, and he says kind of the same thing. Uh, Whatever we can do to get that seed off to the best start, to get really good root growth early, to control disease, that kind of stuff, and keep the bugs off, uh, it it just puts us leaps and bounds ahead.
3: Yeah, I would agree. Uh, We had a lot of success on our farm last year. We had the best winter wheat crop we've ever had. Uh, But I would attribute that to two things. Uh, A great start last fall, good stand establishment, a lot of tillering. Uh, in the fall, which is sometimes uh, a little difficult to do here in the high plains of eastern Colorado. Uh, But then we had uh, a tremendous amount of rain this last uh, spring and early summer. And uh, when we had those two components together, good things happened. You know,
0: even years where you get the rain, I mean, if you say this is the best wheat ever, you've had some other years where there's been some rain, but you're just learning all the time and putting more of the right things in place to be successful. And I think When I look at almost any crop, if I can make, I have a lot of decisions to make. If I can make really good ones that I don't look back and say, man, I wish I didn't do that. uh, It really helps things. So like you mentioned, fall tillering, great stand establishment. Those don't happen by accident. So you really set the table for high yields right from the start.
3: Well, we we also benefit from better genetics today than ever before. Uh, Some of the genetics we're going to the field with today are are things we didn't even think of five to six years ago, and these varieties today just seem to respond. They they are more resilient. Um, I'm just thrilled with some of the genetics we're taking to the field today, and and I'm looking for even more improvement and enhancements in the future to come.
0: No doubt about it. The genetics are getting better. And we, we think about corn and a lot of corn farmers will say, I couldn't have done this 20 years ago with what we were able to plant at that point. Same is true with wheat. What are some of the things that you're looking for? You mentioned more resiliency. Uh, obviously, you've got some tough growing conditions more times than not in Colorado. Uh, are, are there disease tolerances you're looking for? Or are you just looking for top end yield or, or drought tolerance? What are some of the big characteristics for you?
3: we're looking for a lot of pest resistance Uh, we are very prone to stripe rust in this area so we certainly want to select for that Uh, we are starting to see a bigger impact due to the soft fly pressures we have coming into our region so a semi-solid or a solid type variety is something that we'll put on a a number of our acres to try to keep the pest at bay Um, but overall agronomics you know straw strength being able to tiller well uh, be able to fill out those spikelets you know a lot of times we have a lot of potential that sloughs off due to uh, stress due to drought things like that and and so we want the ability to fill out the rest of that seed head uh, to build some test weights and to build overall yield
0: You know, fertility is certainly a big part, too, and this is one that I've been on a lot of wheat farms with really high-yielding growers. Uh, Everybody's managing this just a little bit different depending on if you've got irrigation, if you've got an area that gets timely rainfall, or if you're just in a dry land situation in a dry area of the country. Uh, Those things are a little bit different. So getting that fertility out there, is that a fall thing for you? Is it in crop? How, How do you manage fertility overall?
3: Well, we've taken all of the above strategy. Uh, The successes of last year's wheat crop really started three years ago, Uh, building organic matter, uh, building on soil health, getting our percent of base saturation K up into that five, maybe 6% range. Uh, We started years ago with several different corn crops in our rotation, and we have access to manure from a couple of local dairies. And so the success in 2023 really started probably in 2019 or 2020. Uh, but then when we go to fall planting, uh, we like to put a little bit of phosphorus down at planting time, uh, almost like a strategy would take with uh, corn crops. It, it's not necessarily like a two by two strategy, <clears throat> but we'll put a little bit in the, in the seed trench. We'll, we'll put a little bit on um, pre-plant, uh, and then we sample and sample and sample some more Uh, coming out of dormancy in the spring. Uh, One of the things we did a little bit differently this last year was uh, typically in eastern Colorado, we have one or two fungicide applications. But this last year, because it rained and kept raining, we we actually had five fungicide applications. And uh, we found that sometimes when we time that with fertility, uh, be it uh, nitrogen or sometimes some sulfur, our, our plant health benefits just go through the roof. And, and so we we continue to learn, as you said, I think that's well spoken. Uh, we continue to evolve in our management strategy and our fertility uh, production or our fertility approach really is kind of uh, skating to where the puck is going to be rather than where the puck is at. So we're, we're trying to figure out the cause and effect relationship of fertility as we're putting it down. And uh, we're finding that we're putting less and less nitrogen out there all the time and growing a a bigger and better crop all the time. Uh, the only exception I would have for that is sometimes if we starve that crop a little bit too much in the late grain fill period, uh, protein content begins to suffer. Sure, sure.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I would say the same thing as you built organic matter levels here. We're, we're doing a better job of soil health, those kinds of things. Uh, that soil is going to naturally produce some more N for us too. And it's allowed us to get by with less. And then as we get the other nutrients up, I, I love your five or 6% base saturation potassium uh, statement. I, I was just thinking, I was talking to my brother there for a second Mark. Cause he's like, yep, five fungicides. If we need it, five or 6% base saturation. K. And I was like, dang it. That's Brian. He's pushing hard. Mark's doing the same thing out there <laughs> in Colorado. And you know, as you get all those other nutrients up to higher levels, we are getting by with less N. As as everything else is in good demand, we, we don't need quite as much N, it seems like.
3: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that more. And, and it's something that uh, I certainly didn't know early in my farming career. Uh, we always were out there pushing, you know, 1.1, 1.2 pounds of nitrogen per expected bushel of yield. And, and gosh, we've really ratcheted that back to likely in the neighborhood of 0.68 to 072 Uh, But everything else has to be somewhat in in balance, it has to be in ratio, and and, uh, that's probably been one of the better things that we've discovered over time in terms of managing fertility.
0: Well, you talk about setting the table uh, two years, three years in advance for for what you're going to get. You're exactly right on that. We're talking with Mark out in Colorado about high yields in wheat. A lot of these things don't happen overnight. They take time. They take uh, patience. They take understanding of of what's happening out there, uh, and attention to detail for sure. Mark, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Hope for hopefully this 2024 crop will be your best ever too.
3: Yep. I hope yours as well as too, and uh, be safe out
0: there. You bet. Merry Christmas and uh, and great talking to you once again. We're talking about high yields in wheat on today's program, and we're taking your calls and questions too at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back.
2: The hardworking independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating,
0: If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plans, do you think you could cut your farm's fertility expenses, maybe even increase your yields? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're holding our Ag PhD Soils Clinic on Tuesday, January 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the single most important day you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com.
2: Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed to soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Water Hemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit Valen.com slash Fierce to find the right Fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions.
0: You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about tips for higher yields in wheat, but wow, our last caller, Mark out in Colorado, had a lot of tips there about uh, manure, organic matter, soil health, um, soil test and plant tissue test sampling, um, building up soils, those kinds of things. and, And just kind of a long range outlook of, you know, it takes two or three years to get your ground really set up to win. And so he was giving a lot of credit for his best crop ever to work they had done for the last three years, and I think he's right on the money with that. The decisions we make out there do have long-term impacts. A lot of times we focus on, well, I have to kill this weed today, but hey, what are you doing in that soil to really build that up, build organic matter, build soil health for the long term? Because those things make such a big difference. Got Tom Tragunno on with us right now with Exotic and and Tom, that's probably music to your ears. Listening to uh, to Mark talk about soil health and I, building those things up,
6: uh, you know that was spot on. I mean, he is absolutely right. I mean, your soil health and a lot of it goes down to basics, right? What are we doing with our soil? How are we managing our fertility? Looking at these over the long term is a, is a fantastic strategy. So, I completely agree.
0: You know, Tom, uh, Mark said, I got lots of rain this year and I said, I made the comment back to him. Yeah, that's wonderful. But you had set the table up for success. Just getting rain alone. uh, I mean, we've had that in previous years and didn't have huge success And, and looking at some of the different things like the microbes that are working for you for this crop. Uh, and keeping them healthy, that's really important. So when you do get the rain, you do get the flush of nutrients coming available, you've got the root system and the, the relationships worked out between the roots and everything living in the soil to, to bring things in and make more yield.
6: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and you know, when, when we look at, you know, and especially, you know, I think you have probably already covered a lot of the basics here. But, you know, when we look at other products that we're looking at, you know, um, beyond our our basic fertility, and what I kind of often go back to to is, you know, nitrogen as a a, a major component, right? So how are we getting our nitrogen on throughout that season? Are we careful not to top load it too heavy? Um, Obviously, that's going to lead to lodging. I think what a lot of folks are doing now to maximize yield is they're splitting out their applications. that I think is absolutely the way to go going forward. I know it's a lot of management to do it, um, but you know I think the more we can look at doing that, spacing out our nitrogen so we're not top loading it too early, not re- resulting in lodging, um, I think is a is is a sure way you're going to get some um, clear nitrogen uh, clear benefits.
0: You know, if you look at when the crop actually needs the nutrients, uh, it doesn't need them all the day that you plant. So that makes it a challenge if if you're trying to put all the fertility out there. And you know what? The plant responds a little differently when you've got just an unlimited amount of fertility to begin with rather than uh, just about exactly what you need all the way through and and you end up with a chance for higher yield if you can do that. Now, of course, you do need some rain throughout the season to to help get everything in there. But, you know, you think about that it, we always start with nitrogen but mark was making the comment I, i'm using less nitrogen all the time as i manage all those other things right
6: yeah yeah and if you can manage your 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 base fertility um and i think you could and it, it, it's not saying it's less but it's just better use of your nitrogen a more efficient way of using nitrogen so you know if you're getting it on like if you're throwing it all like a five to six week stage is a classic timing that's really important right you look at that wheat head it's about a an inch above the ground you can cut into the stem you can see it growing at that point if you got too much nitrogen in the soil at that point you're gonna get into some trouble right you're gonna get rapid growth rapid elongation of that main stem and you might run out as you get later on in the season so the trick is you know it's not so much the amount it's how we balancing everything in there whether it be through your microbes through the way we're applying it you know, I'm quite interested in some of the, the strategies that, that folks are doing when they're, they're kind of going in a little later, adding a little bit of nitrogen. I think there's some new biologicals that can help kind of whether it be slow-release fertilizers or some alternatives to basically give you another for, form of nitrogen that's that's kind of throughout that available throughout that whole growing season. I think that's another way of looking at it. So, yeah, we, we don't need to be throwing it all up front. We can look at Really reducing it, um, being more efficient in how we're using our, our our fertility across the board. Really.
0: All right, you do a lot of work on on this sector of of. Uh microbiology of uh, biostimulants and, and things that can help our crop out and, and can work together with the soil and, and with living organisms out there. Talk to us about some of that. When when should growers be thinking about that? Is that something at planting time you have to set the table for or is that something that you do throughout the season?
6: Yeah, no, very good question. So yeah, I you know, there's clearly, I mean, there's a lot of new biologicals coming into the market. Uh, I mean, and I I I mean, they all have a benefit. They all work very differently. I think ultimately it is something that you're looking at early because a lot of them, you know, and I mean the product that I specifically work with deals a lot with nitrogen. And, you know, you'll be looking at it earlier because you're going to be, you know, obviously managing how much fertility you want to be putting on your whole field. Um, But they do have, many of them have the option to address an issue that may have happened. So if we're into a really, a season where that crop, can't always access that nitrogen maybe you got a lot of rainfall real wet spring you've lost some of your applied nitrogen some of these products can be applied as a as a as a backup for your application with your herbicide or flag leaf fungicide to, to help fill some of those gaps that you may be getting later in the season.
0: You know, as we as we look at that, we were talking with the Temple Roads uh, Farms out in Maryland, and he was saying, I, I'm using, using some of these beneficial microbes at the same time as I'm using um, things like biostimulants. Like, he was talking about using PGRs at the same time to yeah. try and stimulate root growth in combination. I think there's just a lot to learn in this area. Like you oh. mentioned, there's lots of new products coming, but there's lots of combinations, too, that could be quite beneficial.
6: Oh. Yeah, I mean, and if you go into, um, you know, now I'm kind of jumping to other regions of the world, because I work um, with folks all over, you know, and I sometimes like, when it comes to wheat, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of your your listeners have read a lot about, you say, New Zealand growers or what they've done in, say, the UK. I, I mean, they're under, of course, completely different growing regions, but I think we can take some tips and tricks there. Um, I mean, and, and, and you're just, you're hitting it right there. I mean, they're, they're looking at PGRs at various timings. Uh, I think a, a big part of it, well, of course, is their season so much longer to grow a wheat crop. But you know, the combinations of these technologies has really been critical in pushing their yields up higher on on wheat. Um, they got a long way to go to get our hit our corn yields, but their wheat yields are, are looking pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, sure. And you know, you think about yeah. you, you mentioned about uh, just some of these different. Uh, biological products out there that are that are designed to help with nitrogen, like Invita and others, that that are pulling yeah. in nitrogen in different ways. Just that little segment of the market with uh, how can we produce more nitrogen for the plant there's a wide variety of ways that they're trying to do that with microbes. Uh, atmospheric end just seems like uh, that should be the best one, shouldn't it? I mean, we've got this atmosphere that has so much nitrogen in it. Why can't yeah. we just use a little yeah. of that for just a little bit of time to make some protein just here? Just
2: a little bit.
6: I know, I know. I mean, it, it certainly... I mean, I, I mean, most of the data in the U.S. has been... With a lot of these... I mean, they started first on, on corn, right? That's where they did their, their major data set. But when we look on wheat uh i mean protein's a huge one they're looking at right and and again it's not you're not supplying a massive significant amount like you're really looking at a 10 15 percent reduction in the total nitrogen it's more about when is that crop accessing that nitrogen and and when you have something that's a little different so in the case of invita you know the nitrogen fixation is occurring directly in the cell it's less dependent on moisture levels to pull that nitrogen up uh, it just helps fill that gap a little bit between when the crop maybe needs that nitrogen when it can't access it and there's a lot of other products out there in the marketplace that I think are, you know, that absolutely do provide a benefit as well. I mean, and I, to me, it's just an exciting time when we have all these new tools that are out there, have a look at them, see how they're working in the different regions. Um, and, you know, as we learn, we're going to figure out the best way, and as you mentioned, combination of applying these biologicals to, with a combination with our, our standard fertility and different change and, you know, different other products, PGRs, biostimulants, to, to max it out even higher than than we're, where we're at now. So it's, yeah. it's an exciting time. It
0: is very yeah. exciting. We're talking with Tom Trigano right now with Azotic. Tom, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today.
6: Not a problem. Yeah. Real pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Talking about higher yields in wheat and other crops on today's program and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back.
1: What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a -a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product, it's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com.
0: You have a lot at stake when it comes to raising corn. I'm Darren Hefty. That's why on Wednesday, January 17th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll help you navigate all the challenges of corn production, including how to manage exploding pest populations, resistant diseases, fertility challenges, and more. It's a day packed with information. So if you want to get the most out of your corn this season, don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. How can naturals products help you raise bigger and better crops? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Biologicals, or naturals as we call them, are impacting every facet of agriculture today, and that will only grow in the future. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals Workshop, Wednesday, February 7th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of naturals products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. Come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and we are diving into the Ag PhD Mailbag. You can email us questions, radio at agphd.com, or just give us a phone call, 844-44-AG-PHD bring my brother Brian back into the discussion here and got got a question right off the bat on potassium Brian and I know I risk taking the whole rest of the show giving you a potassium question but uh, this one comes in from West down in Iowa and he said I want to put on a bunch of potash I'm trying to build my potassium levels up I've got two and a half percent organic matter and a 10 to 18 CEC my base saturation of K is currently at two So what I'm thinking about doing is broadcasting 300 pounds of potash next spring in no-till with soybeans. Is that going to be enough to hurt anything?
7: No. No. Um, But here's the problem that I'm concerned about. You're not tilling it in the ground. Potash doesn't break down quickly. I will predict that 10% of that potash gets used in the first two or three months another 10 or 20 percent by the end of the year, and all the rest of it's going to be there for the future. So, and my numbers, they could be even less if you don't get a lot of rain. Potash is pretty immobile in the soil. Even in a 10 CEC soil, in an 18 CEC soil, it is hardly mobile at all. And the heavier you go, the less mobile it gets. So my point is, I don't think you're going to do that soybean crop a crazy amount of good in no-till, applying it in the spring, unless you get a crazy amount of rain. So that's that's my concern with it. But long-term for your soil, it's great. It's going to end up building up your soil. Eventually, that stuff will get down into the root zone. Um, I mean, maybe you'll do tillage someday. Maybe you don't. But if you don't, it's just going to take that much longer to get down on the ground. So this is always the concern that we have with no-till. That's really, quite frankly, my number one concern is how are we going to get the nutrients where they need to be? Because there's almost zero chance that potash is ever going to get deeper than three inches.
0: Yeah, here's the other concern I've got, Wes, and I'm not sure what part of Iowa you're in and what your terrain is. A lot of the flat black ground in Iowa, they do some tillage on, but it's the hills where there's less tillage. So I'm wondering if you're in really hilly country, I'm nervous about putting a lot of fertility on top of the ground and not somehow getting it down in the soil. I've been in too many fields where I see the hilltops at two parts per million of phosphorus and the valleys at a hundred. And the same thing with K, seeing one percent base saturation K on the hilltops and six percent in the valleys. So some of that yeah, fertility but could wash too.
7: Help tremendously I mean he's not going to have near the risk for that erosion if he's no-till is there still some risk yes and to your point how hilly is it because the steeper it is I mean the more challenging it's going to get to keep it where it's been placed even in no-till
0: yep well uh, I guess the law and the short of it it's safe to do it in terms of hurting your crop uh, but but uh, is it going to accomplish what you're wanting it's going to take a little bit of time Okay. Uh, oh.
7: Hey, Darren, one of the reasons why this comes up is because some people say, well, the chloride in the spring on soybeans is going to reduce nodulation. So, number one, we've never seen that. Number two, if you had high sodium, then I'd be way more concerned, which I seriously doubt you do. But sodium chloride would be a salt, and the salt absolutely could do some damage. But chloride on its own is an important nutrient for all crops. So we're not, we're really not concerned about this potash. We've done bigger rates than that in front of soybeans, had zero issues, even on some lighter ground. So I'm not that worried. I, my, My bigger concern is just the availability of it when it's going to come available. I don't think you're going to get a lot out of it this year, but you never know. Maybe you'll get tons of rain and you'll get more availability than I think.
0: You know what I would do too, Brian, if it was my field and I was making the application myself, I'd leave one strip or one end of the field, uh, not not super wide or anything, but I'd leave one area that I didn't put any on like that just to see. So I have a check strip. Yep. And then on the opposite end of the field, I would probably do a double rate on a strip just to see, okay – Uh, what happened so now I can learn as I'm going to be doing this on multiple fields if it works I can see oh okay hey I got by with 400 500 600 pounds over here and it didn't hurt anything 300 did this zero did that and and you'll learn a lot hey thanks really appreciate that Wes and and uh, kudos to you for trying to build things up and make it even better for the long term okay Brian get this one from down in in uh, central Oklahoma this comes from Cody He said, guys, I'm curious. I thought I was having a good year, but now I'm not so sure. This year, my alfalfa field yielded an average of 3.35 tons per acre for the full season. When I looked at my county average, it said two tons was the average, but talking to others, they say they're getting two tons per cut. Uh, Does that sound right to you? Uh, What are your opinions on this? Well, two
7: tons per cut would be tremendous. It would most likely have to be irrigated down there and I would say 3.35, certainly not terrible, but would I like something uh, better? Of course. So I guess you'll, you'll have to – well, I would trust the data that's put out by the county average. Coffee shop talk is usually that.
0: Well, here's the other thing, Brian. I was thinking about this. In Oklahoma, there's a lot of guys that fight low soil pH. And if your soil pH is in the fives or low sixes, then That's that could really be holding you back. So when I first saw that, and I thought Oklahoma, I thought, man, I wonder what his soil pH is, Cody. Uh, I'd be curious to see what your soil samples look like. And what I would look at first is what's your pH. You want that pH to be at the lowest in the upper sixes. You'd prefer it to be right around seven. Uh, when you're seven or or even just a little bit higher alfalfa does much better than when the pH is in the low sixes or in the upper fives. So if you need to get some lime out there, make sure you get that done because that can literally double your yields if your pH is too low.
7: Yep. And then the other big thing we see is people just don't have enough P and K down deep in the ground where it needs to be. So I'd like that P and K down six to nine inches in the ground if I could. And I want it loaded up. I want P levels, really extra high. I want K levels, 7 or 8%. You do that at the start of your stand, and then you're good for three, four years. You should have some pretty amazing tonnage numbers coming off of there. So, yeah, pH is always going to be number one, but I usually look at how we doing on P and K because we need massive amounts, especially with the K, with all that tonnage that hopefully you'll be taking off.
0: All right, thanks for the question. We appreciate that. We uh, got this one from Scott over in northeast Iowa, and he said, guys, this is just a five-acre hobby field, so not a not a huge economic thing, but just kind of fun for me. I really enjoyed doing it. Uh, I had alfalfa in there, and last spring I moldboard plowed it, and I put corn in and got 175 bushel corn. I chopped the stalks. I broadcast cereal rye out there. It's established, uh, but it's still fairly short. Uh, What would you recommend? I'm going to rotate to soybeans next year and I imagine that rye is going to grow a lot in the spring. Do I burn it down in the spring uh, or I really enjoyed the moldboard plowing? I would like to do that again. Uh, Do you think I could moldboard plow in the spring ahead of putting on soybeans, uh, and then also uh, what else would you do here with prees and so forth. Uh, First of all, I'm just going to say since Brian doesn't have the benefit of looking at the soil sample, we've got phosphorus anywhere from 10 parts per million to 27 in the P1. We've got uh, CEC of around 15, and we've got potassium in the extremely low area. We've got 50 parts per million in one of the samples, 60, 80. The highest is 117 parts per million. So we're just super, super low in K. And kind of low in phosphorus too, so I'd make sure I'm dealing with those. Not sure exactly if you got any fertility on there since you did those samples back in October, but if you haven't, uh, Scott, I would absolutely get some more P and K out there.
7: Where did you say
0: he's from? Northeast Iowa. So they're going to get some rain, uh, and he's enjoying moldboard plowing in this. But- on, on this little yeah. farm.
7: M- Mowboard plowing in the spring, that's going to be really challenging because you should have been planting probably two weeks earlier by the time you can finally, it's finally dry enough to moldboard plow. I don't like ever letting a cover crop live into the spring. You want to do it perfectly fine for you and in your area with, with some moisture. But yeah, I'm terminating it as soon as I can. And as far as herbicide... If you don't have a lot of growth, let's say a foot or less on that, you can spray the herbicide, the residual, or it the burn down.
0: All right, thanks for the question, Scott, and good luck to you. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.